Looking for a local spot to make swag for your brand, podcast, or anything in between? Eastside Pin Co. has experience making enamel pins, badges, keychains, medals, and patches. Have an idea of what you want? Chris can help bring your idea to life. You can find them online at eastsidepinco.com. That's E-A-S-T-S-I-D-E-P-I-N-C-O.com. And you can send all inquiries to chris at eastsidepinco.com. Mention this ad to take 10% off your order. Eastside Pinco. Hit them up. Welcome back to Tunes Tunes Podcast. I'm your host, Harold. As always, you can follow us on social media. That's Tunes Tunes Podcast, T-U-N-E-S slash T-O-O-N-S. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you find your podcasts. Uh, got a fun episode planned today. Got a series regular Mike Anderson back in the house. What up, Mike? Hey, how you doing? How's it going? I'm good. And we got Jonathan Horde at the end of the couch. Uh, yeah, long-time listener, first-time caller. Hey, there we go. <laughs> Uh, this is an episode, I actually think I came up with this idea talking to Jonathan about this. Um, we were talking about shows that like people maybe forget about or just don't talk about or just plum, like have never heard about. Um, there's so many things that like people miss because of like different, you know, finding things at different times or maybe like you didn't have that channel at that time, stuff like that. And so um, there was three shows that really stuck out to us that we wanted to take some time to talk about and just talk about what stuck out to us about these shows. So um, I know, Mike, you're a nostalgia junkie for sure. It's mm-hmm. um, my drug of choice. But people that <laughs> people that maybe is like their first time listening or, uh, you know, haven't heard an episode with you on it, can you kind of tell people what you do with like the scary movie and everything? Oh, yeah. So I'm a, a co-host to two podcasts. Um, we are branded, uh, branded under the SMIC umbrella, S-M-I-C, but we are Scary Movie Ice Cream night podcast and Saturday morning ice cream podcasts. And uh, those are two um, somewhat nostalgia-based podcasts. One of, them, one of them leans a little more towards the um, scary movie and horror side of things, and the other one is just kind of general nostalgia from childhood. Right now we're doing a summer series about uh, McDonald's and why we loved that as a kid. And so we've got like a four-part series going on about that right now and then we're also doing a summer series for scary movie where we're talking about um the early 2000 uh horror movie remakes so like texas chainsaw massacre nightmare on elm street uh and then a couple more to come that are not named yet <laughs> but yeah that's what i'm about right on man and then uh, jonathan's my uh my go-to D expert i'm always running stuff by him i know he's a big fan of D. what else you into jonathan uh, yeah, <clears throat> I've been uh, DMing for a few years, and I have a pretty solid group, which is kind of unheard of. We literally meet every Sunday. That's uh, something that I've heard is really hard to come across. We love it. We have a we have a great group of people, and I'm always like throwing weird stuff at them and changing the rules. Uh, I'm not very great at the rules. <laughs> I've never been a super, so I'm like, ah, I don't like that rule. Let me homebrew it. Um, other than that, I mean, I'm just kind of doing anything a little nerdy, you know, read comics, uh, watch movies, um, that kind of jazz. I don't, you know, I don't, 
I don't have a podcast of my own, but uh, <laughs> I listen. I listen quite a bit. You can call this when you're home now. Oh, do you, do you play you. in person? Uh, no, actually, what's really cool about uh, our D&D group is that it is multinational or international. Oh, wow. uh, we have... Um, so let's see, where are the places? We have someone from Dallas, someone from Michigan, someone or yeah, someone from Indiana, Toronto, and um, Philadelphia. Uh, and so it's actually, it was a group of friends, and I had my best friend, Bethany, had said, uh, man, I wish we could play D&D over Skype. <laughs> and I was like, we can. Like, let's just make it happen. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so that was a couple years ago or or so. And we've been, we've gone through like three campaigns and it's really cool because we have a, we have like an artist that plays and she does like these really intricate maps for everything. And I'll like, I've got another friend that's an artist and I commission like avatar pictures and then we do the whole thing over Google Sheets. So I make the maps on Google Sheets and we move around people and it's really fun and it's, it's, I do it with my wife. So it's like really cool to like get a like bond and we've done it about every Sunday and it's just a fun, it's a fun experience. That's really awesome. That's something that I've heard more and more within the past few years is people doing it over Skype. I've never played D&D because my parents said it was evil. <laughs> That's the devil. <laughs> Mike, did, Mike's listened to my show before. He's like damn near airs on like a D&D podcast on some episodes. Like when I have somebody on that's a fan of D&D, I'm like, I swear we've gone on like 30 minute tangents. Yeah, yeah. We haven't even talked about awesome. like anything. I, I love hearing about D&D. Um, but I, do, I don't know if I could ever play it. Uh, it's it's pretty t- it's fun to get into and then like when you're first learning it seems daunting but when yeah. you get in there and play a little bit like it gets really yeah really I had fun. actually I had actually only played a couple times in college and one of my one of the guys in our group makes fun of me because in college like we used to play in the cafeteria at the university so like I put like my hood up <laughs> and I was like super <laughs> embarrassed by it because I'm some twenty something and uh, thankfully he's like he's in our group and so he's been playing for fourteen years so like I just was like listen I'll DM if you just be the rule lawyer, because I don't understand. Like, I was like, so there's like a lot of times I'm like, I don't know. What do you think? And so like, and I'm, I'm a very big believer of like, if you can convince me about it, like I'll let it slide. Like if you have some like elaborate way as to why this works, shoot, let's do it. Yeah. Sell me on it. Yeah. I have a, I had somebody who just really was like, I just want to be like acrobatic and jump and tackle people and like do all these crazy things. And I was like, if you can like, elaborately explain so she would explain these things like jumping up on a table doing like a backflip and then coming down and like i'm like do three acrobatics checks and if you succeed all of them i'll give you extra damage because that just looks stupid cool (laughs) so it's it's a lot about and i think that that's part of it too is that a lot of people just don't have an easy dm to go to because it's it is it's a really daunting task and there's sometimes i'm like i really wish i wasn't doing this but uh we have people do like one shots like other members will so i get to play characters and so um i actually have my favorite character i'm gonna get a play soon i'm so excited to play in an actual campaign as a player not as a dm and it's uh it's like a little um they're called bronies in uh irish lore they're like house elves um and it's like him and he's like ugly as crap and he's like super super like like pathetic but then he has this little like fairy that's his best friend and the fairy's the actual warlock that has all the powers so it's like this useless like little guy and then he's got this tiny little fairy that like does all this kick-ass stuff and so i have been looking forward to playing this so like i commissioned my friend to like do it like a really elaborate expensive art piece and i'm just like fired up to finally get to be a player <laughs> that is cool i remember you telling me about that 
But talking about like the shows that we had picked, man, um, your choice is really kind of tangential to uh, to D and D. Yeah, want to tell people what show you picked? Uh, so I picked uh, Pirates of Dark Water, which is a Hanna Barbera cartoon from 1991. is being devoured by dark water. Only Ren, a young prince, can stop it by finding the lost 13 treasures of war. I didn't watch it actually live. I, I was surprised it was so early. Um, I didn't have Cartoon Network in Houston where I grew up, but uh, my parents have been divorced since I was a kid. And so um, I went to Colorado. My dad and my stepmom had Cartoon Network, so I would watch it. That's like the only place I could watch it. Um, and I came across Pirates of Dark Water then, and I was like fired up. And that's like back when like Cartoon Network would just do like, hey, let's just do a rerun of a show for like two days. Yeah. So I like watched the whole thing, and then I was like, oh, when's the next season come out? And it never, never came out. <laughs> the worst. Yeah. And I don't even know how. I don't even know how they could have really continued it. Because the whole thing was that, like, there it's this alien world. And there's these, like, weird creatures that are kind of prehistoric dinosaurs. And the world is getting taken over by this black ooze, uh, a la, like, Captain Planet or something. Um, and these, like, this misfit group gets together to fight it and they have to find these like 13 crystals and each time they find a crystal it kills like a certain amount of the ooze or whatever the the black oil whatever and uh anyways i like i remember as a kid like i'm like eight and i'm like 13 crystals they find about one an episode i don't think that this is gonna last very long this isn't scalable <laughs> this, is, this is just not scalable i need to i need to have a meeting with their uh with their executive department about this i've got some concerns i know that's cool man um it's just like one of those ones and we had mentioned earlier like um i never even heard of this show and then you were telling me about it i was just like what this sounds crazy which really spurred like this whole idea for this episode because i was just like this is nuts like how did i miss this one so that was, that was really cool to hear about it and like getting i'm like excited to get into talking about like what makes that show tight so well, yeah. let's hear what mike mike what'd you pick well i was gonna say also i'm excited to hear about it because i i was semi into that show but i was more so into the toy line and um, I just really loved the character designs and everything from that show. So I'm, I'm interested to hear what it's actually about as well. Uh, but my show, I chose uh, Street Sharks. The way I got into Street Sharks is Street Sharks is kind of one of those um, shows, anthropomorphic animal shows, where it was kind of feeding off of the success of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. But what I found really interesting about Street Sharks is it premiered in 1994, and Ninja Turtles ended in 96. So it was like it came around towards the back end of Ninja Turtles. It was like sort of around the... the decline of this type of show. Um, but I, uh, like with Darkwater, I was huge into the toys. And um, I, I was actually probably more of a fan of this show than I was of Ninja Turtles. And just because the toys were freaking amazing, they were extremely big and really 
detailed and I was such a huge like character design kid that uh, it, it just it hooked me and uh, I remember playing it with my it kind of had that that He-Man vibe to it. Yeah, like it was it like did. bigger than the every Hulk other toy oh, yeah. on the shelf. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was like a three pounds of plastic <laughs> toy. Their landfills filled with nothing but that toy now. <laughs> I th- I th- that's what filled Everest. Yeah, that's what formed Everest. Um, yeah, um, and I actually just found out recently that the the company that created those toys actually put out another line of toys called um, God, Muscle Mutts. And it was, oh, we were talking about that yeah, the other day at lunch. it's almost like the exact same <laughs> body Muscle type, mutts. but it's dogs instead of... If instead they have a sharks. German Shepherd, I got to get it. I think they do. Whoa! Yeah. Um, but it's like, okay, we've got these really badass toys, but we need something to... And, like, kids aren't responding to the dogs, so they, <laughs> they made them into sharks. And What's funny is, it, 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 even when you say that, like... Street sharks, like, yeah, yeah. Sharks already that are out of the water that <laughs> are super buff and, like, can't actually stand up on the legs that they're given. <laughs> I will buy into that. But for some reason, when you say muscle mutts, I am very <laughs> concerned and I am uncomfortable. It's Michael Vick's favorite toy. Oh. Uh, I'm such a bitch. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know how, how far you want me to get into it. Right no, now, I mean, that's perfect, Manny. Yeah. I just kind of like the intro, you know, because um, that's like the whole thing. Like, it's interesting, especially if it's show like it's kind of it's a little different with these shows, like because they're so different. And like we found them at different times. But it's interesting when it's like a show that you, you hear about how people first heard about it. Yeah. And so uh, the show that I wanted to talk about is Mummies a lot. I remember watching this like bizarre cartoon <laughs> and it came on like right before I was going to go to school. So it was like 645, like 637 probably that it came on. Mm-hmm. And so I'd watch it before I went to school. But I just remember thinking like, what? Like, this is so bizarre. And I like, I don't know if it was around the same time as Yu-Gi-Oh or what, but like I, I had like an interest in like Egypt and stuff like that. And so for me, it was like, I think I just, it just hit at the right time. That I was just like, this is pretty cool. Like what? Like, I don't, I've never seen a show that's kind of, like, based around, like, this, like, Egyptian... Pharaohs and yeah, stuff. Like yeah, like, pharaohs and stuff, like, in this way. First of all, if if you tell me, unironic, or, or, or genuinely, that you didn't have an Egyptian phase growing up at some point in your life, I don't trust <laughs> you. Like, I just, I can't trust anyone who hasn't at some point been, like, Egypt's so rad. I just remember, yeah, like, learning, even, like, learning about it in school, I'm like, these fucking hieroglyphics are tight. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, what even is this? I think I watched uh, what was it? Um, the original Stargate, and then even like like uh, Fifth Element and all that stuff. Like that just got me like super fired up, and I like went down the rabbit hole of Egyptian history. Yeah, man, it's it's neat, and like I remember just the character designs. That was something that always stuck out to me as well. Um, just like the the mythos of the show was really cool, like the background and everything. I was just like, this is tight. But that's kind of what I wanted to get in next with like these shows, like. What was, like, really the thing that, you know, whenever I talked to you about doing this that made that show kind of stick out to you? Like, what do you think, you know, contrary to anything else, is just, like, man, there's something there in this show, like, really just hits, like, in a way that, like, makes me, like, you know, for some reason this show sticks out to me for some reason. But what do you think? Uh, I think one thing that I have to say is that Pirates of Dark Water had the coolest 
like logo for mm-hmm. a show. Um, and just like it was, it was at the end, it was at the tail end of the Captain Planet. It was right in the height of that 90s push for recycling and like where all the bad guys were very like toxic and uh yeah like like grotesque kind of like almost mutant in a way because Mm -hmm. they had kind of the like this unsaid idea that they had been affected by the pollution that they were causing um so that was part of it i think i think the other thing is, is i've always liked stories especially stories about like an underdog um and that's definitely kind of part of it uh ren is just this like Looking back, especially rewatching, he's kind of insufferable. Um, but like the main <laughs> character for is this dark-skinned elvish kind of thing. So one thing I need to point out here is that this was at the very beginning of anime's influence on Western animation. So you can tell within the show that there are a lot of anime influences from the weird eccentric hair things that they did to they're kind of trying to do wider eyes, but they're all elvish. And so, like, for Ren, he had, like, his hair in a ponytail, but all of his hair was short. Like, it, like it, it just didn't make sense as to where the hair that was in the ponytail <laughs> the came from. <laughs> and then they had the, they, uh, the, like, kind of like the Sinbad character, um, who was, uh, who was it? It was Ioz, I think, yeah. He had, like, a giant ponytail on his forehead, but with a receding hairline. <laughs> It just, it like a, doesn't... Like a widow's peak. A widow's peak ponytail. Ponytail. Yeah. So it, the, <laughs> the characters were very weird and eccentric. The whole thing had this very, like, it was pirates, but good pirates doing something that they needed to. And the, the whole intro just had this exciting, like, badass... It started with this guy who had, like, this gravelly voice, and he was like, the planet of Myrrh. <laughs> is infested with dark water. And so it just had this, like, Lord of the Rings Tolkien-esque mythos to it that you never really get. Like, it never really dove into that because it it only lasted two seasons and it ended on a cliffhanger. The worst. um, To the the point, in this quick side note, to the point that uh, Cartoon Network actually had like a whole thing where they talked about releasing the unaired finale and then they would like show they'd be like they'd make like a big deal like we're gonna release the unaired finale to pirates of dark water this tuesday at six so you tune in tuesday at six and they would legitimately show like a quick clip of uh someone's kid first learning how to walk and be like someone in our studio must have accidentally taped over it it was like this running joke that cartoon network did to just just mess with people yeah and it was and i and i i think maybe that's why it kind of it's kind of got that firefly um esque to it where like because it was never really finished because there was so much of the mythos that was not touched upon i think it kind of stuck with me for years because i always was like well did they yeah did they get rid of the dark water the unresolved <laughs> yeah like that that thing that sticks out to you yeah and so it just it just had a whole lot of weight behind it um and also because there was literally a wise cracking monkey bird which was part monkey part bird um <laughs> and i don't i don't think there's anything as as random as that yeah that was good the the thing with like the pirates too is that it was like it was it was pirates but it was also like in a different planet right? yeah it was so that was know, a trip. What's interesting about it, and and in preparing for, I hadn't realized until I was preparing for this, and I was like looking at it, and I was looking at the characters, and I I 
it's it's Star Wars. You have the kind of insufferable blonde young uh, like hero that's just like, oh, I don't know what that. I'm naive and dumb. <laughs> and then like he has like this father figure that has like apparently raised him his entire life, but then dies like out of the blue and is like, you must go on without <laughs> me. And so then he finds himself connected with uh, Ioz, uh that was like the kind of gruff, uh, shady character. Um, that kind of is like the Han Solo. Uh, and then Tula, who, uh, spoiler alert for a show that's 30 years old, um, <laughs> Tula, it, it kind of comes out that she is, uh, I think it comes out that she's like a princess of sorts. So you have oh, like Princess okay. Leia, and then you have like the Chewie, which is the monkey bird. Um, little different, but still like the creature. Like I just like, I realized like I was like, these are like, these are archetypes that are ripped straight from Star Wars, then put in a fantasy setting, but still on like a different planet where like all of the vegetation, all of the creatures are, are some kind of weirdness. And every, every episode was sort of like a, like a different, like there was something new that they would discover every episode that was weird as hell. Yeah, and that the other thing that stuck out to me about that one was that it was done by Hanna Barbera, so that always kind of like surprised me. I was like, "Geez, yeah, um, yeah." Mike, what do you what do you think about Street Sharks? Uh, well, sorry, I'm, my mind's blank because I'm like <laughs> legitimately <laughs> interested in listening to what Dark Water is about. But um, so Street Sharks, uh, what stood out to me about it is I I'm a huge fan of like, um mutants in general like i even do this weekly prompt now as, as just kind of like a challenge to myself where i come up with a new mutant character literally inspired by teenage mutant Turtles and street charts and stuff like that so like this this show is all about um they call it gene slamming in this one they don't call it uh uh, mutating necessarily. This is the most 90s term. Gene slammer. It's like a pog. Yeah, <laughs> this this show, like, I mean, you said it, is like the most 90s cartoon that you can possibly think of. It is like, you've got a skate, or not skate, a, a rollerblading, neon-wearing um, shark, anthropomorphic shark character. And, I mean, he's just one of them. But, um, so, like, the cast of characters just really stood out to me. Um, I'll, I'll kind of give you a quick premise of what the show is about, but it's it follows these four brothers, much like the Ninja Turtles. Um, they're the Bolton <laughs> brothers. <laughs> their last name is Bolton, and their dad um, is a uh, professor at a university, and his uh, partner at the, at the university, his name is um, Dr. Paradine, and um, Robert Bolton, I think it's Robert Bolton is the is the dad's name, and uh, they create this thing, this machine called the Gene Slammer, where it. I don't know if it specifically only does aquatic creatures, but that's what Wikipedia said. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, essentially, they they uh, and that's all they do in the show really is aquatic creatures. But they can combine the DNA of two two creatures to create an anthropomorphic uh, uh, new creature, and. Um, they were setting themselves up for spinoffs galore. <laughs> um, so uh, interesting you say that. I'll get to that later. But um, they, uh, the, Dr. Paradigm wants to use this for um, his own uh, purposes, and uh, Dr. Bolton doesn't think that they're uh, virtuous reasons. So he tries to stop him, and in the process, uh, Dr. Bolton gets mutated or gene-slammed into this uh, monstrous 
thing that you never see. You never see what he actually gets turned into. And um, he escapes before the lab is destroyed. And uh, Dr. Paradigm then kidnaps his four sons to uh, do the same experiment on him. Uh, he ejects them each with a unique uh, shark DNA. And um, they don't transform right away. And he thinks that he's killed them, so he gets one of his henchmen to dispose of the bodies, and they just kind of throw them into this, uh, like, canal sort of thing. And the canal water washes them away, and they wind up transforming much much later, and um, they become the street sharks. And so um, Dr. Paradigm kidnaps another friend uh, named Benz, and he's friends to the street sharks, and uh, street sharks go save him before he gets mutated, and... Dr. Paradigm accidentally gets piranha DNA injected into him, and he becomes Dr. Paranoid instead of Dr. Paradigm. <laughs> and uh, it's so, it's so, when I was doing some research on it, it was so funny to me that they changed their names. Yeah. <laughs> Once they became the street charts, <laughs> like, I'm Ripster now. And yeah. Like, <laughs> you're not the person you yeah. were before. I, I always wear rollerblades, so I'm streaks now. And then, like, <laughs> Um, one of them was, uh, so, so there's a great white shark, a hammerhead shark, a tiger shark, and a, um, I think he's a whale shark. And the whale shark is the biggest, like I would equate him as to like the Raphael, but he, his name is Big Slamu. And that always <laughs> frustrated, it. it always frustrated me because there is eventually a killer whale, uh, character named Moby Lick. And he's got like this really long tongue. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Moby Dick is not an orca. Right, right. But he's a whale. And yeah, Okay. And I guess that makes Moby sense. Lick. <laughs> Moby Lick. Oh, my God. But, like, I, it always made me so mad, and I would I would actually get confused because I would want to call the orca whale. I wanted to call him Big Slamu because Shamu oh, was, yeah. A, yeah. was a killer whale. And I was like, well, that makes sense. But and, and Shamu is not a shark. So, it, But he this... This guy wears like boxing gloves all the time. At least the toy does. So he he's like, he's got like a seismic slam as his attack. And um, but uh, the 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 kind of de facto leader of the group became Ripster. He's the great white shark. And then there's um, there's Streaks, who is kind of the eh, kind of the Michelangelo of the group. He's always on rollerblades. And then there's the um, kind of tech savvy brother. Um, he's the hammerhead shark, and uh, it really did kind of rip Ninja Trolls right off. Like as far as I was gonna say, it go. sounds pretty like yeah. Everyone has like their yeah, and their so field like or whatever. It, and it wasn't necessarily like a monster of the week um, type of series where like every episode they had a new villain they had to fight off. It was kind of there's a recurring storyline that kind of goes throughout the entire series, and it ran for three seasons surprisingly, and. Um, there is kind of a recurring cast of characters that they meet up with in each episode, and they do get new characters of throughout the series, but really not many. So um, they 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 come across, uh, and all the new characters are um, based off of this gene slamming thing. So like they've got the Moby Lick character, um, they've got one called Rocks, which is like a rock star shark. Um, he's got hair, which is really weird to look at in the in the in the toy. Um, and then there is uh, Manta Man. Uh, he's really cool. Uh, he's the only one that's not a that's not a shark that I'm aware of. And um, but then the, again with the villains, you know, there's a ton of different villains, and he makes new ones every now and then. And uh, 
But yeah, it was just like it was it was literally a thirty minute toy commercial. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say, man, like it's like one of those things was totally like just built to sell toys. Yeah, for sure. And, and like Doctor Par- Paranoid had different versions of himself, so like it was like we need to sell another Doctor Paranoid toy, so. They just wrote an episode where he gets like an upgraded suit or something <laughs> like that. That's it's interesting. It seems to me that like from I mean from what you've said, like that the toys kind of kept that show alive longer than it might yeah. have have been alive anyway. Yeah, for and, sure. And that's the opposite of what I've read about Pirates of Darkwater is that it was critically acclaimed. Like it had a it had a decent fan base, but it's just for some reason it wasn't selling toys as well as it should have. Hmm. And I can I I it's weird I can see that and like I wonder if it's almost kind of like um, you think about like the Batman the animated series show it's a great beautiful work of art mm-hmm. animated show but like I don't really remember having any toys from it I was just thinking that yeah but I do have I still have the main character Ren I have the toy of him and I had the toy of like the monkey bird thing but really I didn't have anything else and. Um, but and that's coming from like a toy kid. Like I loved the toys from that series. It just and and I've heard that uh, a, a children's show will live and die by their toy mm-hmm. sales. Mm-hmm. The toys that made us. Yeah. That's a nice plug for that show. Yeah. <laughs> Do they pay you? <laughs> they should. <laughs> Unofficial sponsor, Tunes Tunes <laughs> Podcast. Um, now, so yeah, all these things that you you guys are kind of saying. Is, Dancing around basically what made Mummies Alive stick out to me. Um, it did go for one season. Um, shout out to Deke. It was a Deke show. Yeah, it, it was actually part of the Amazing Adventures thing, which oh, was uh, it? Street Sharks was part of. Right on. So, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, they aired on the same channel. Um, but yeah, so I always thought that was really cool that because um, I, I remembered Street Sharks and I remember Mummies Alive being like, Man, everyone, everything has its own thing, basically. <laughs> yeah. Everything has a show. But the thing that really stuck out to me about this show, so, well, like a little bit of the background, like you were saying, the the, the basis is that there's like an evil sorcerer um, in ancient Egypt um, named Scarab. Mm-hmm. And he was like basically trying to become all powerful, you know, and he kills like the, the pharaoh's son um, in order to become immortal. As one he, does. Yeah. And then he's trapped. Uh, in a tomb, and in present day, some dumbass American, like, you know, let the, opens the tomb, of course, and then lets him out, and out, w- but with uh, Scarab being reawakened, so are the uh, mummies, like the, the the hero mummies. And uh, it's kind of that tropey thing of, like, how you were saying everyone has a specialty, like, there's one that's clearly the leader. Um, one, it's it's a little um, similar to um, Darkwater, because, like, um, there is a uh, a a female character that it's not obvious that she's a female character to the to the other mummies, which was funny. <laughs> she was like she was undercover. She was uh like posing as a man, but so she could be like one of the warriors for the for the uh, pharaoh. And um, it was just fun. It's like a funny thing that they wrote in because like the the boy that's like the main um, protagonist of the show, basically like a reincarnation of the pharaoh's son, hmm. and so that's why the the mummies are coming to protect him. Um, because the uh, that the scarab guy is like trying to get him because he like basically emits like an, the same aura as the uh, the pharaoh's son, so he's like trying to get him, and they're even talking to him like he's like they they keep calling him the little pharaoh's son's name, hmm. um, which I forget right now. But he was like um, 
So he's basically like the reincarnation of that, the sun. And so like, that's like the mummy's duty is to pre- protect um, the boy. And so there's one that's like, you know, clearly the leader, the, the girl that's like undercover, a big juggernaut guy, and then a really smart guy. And um, so it was just like an interesting thing, man. You know, like everybody has like their specialty and there's just like terrible puns like throughout, <laughs> like that shit always gets me too. Like even with street, street sharks, like Jawsome, like Jossum. that shit kills me. Um, but so that was, those are like some of the main things that, that were concerned with like the storyline, like those characters, the little boy, um, they're basically fighting the emperor the entire time. Um, or the sorcerer trying to defeat him and like save the earth type of thing. Um, but one of the cool things about the show is like, so they would, they're just like regular mummies. And then, um, when they transform, they get like this badass armor. So I remember one of the things that stuck out to me was like the transformation sequence. Yeah. It was super tight. Everybody had, like, their own thing, too. So, like, the big juggernaut guy, he actually only had one arm when he was, like, a regular mummy. But when he transformed, he got, like, this huge, like, like a uh, Hellboy arm. Hmm. Like, that was made completely out of, like, the, the same stuff, like, the sarcophagus is made out of, like, that gold or whatever. Mm-hmm. It was pretty cool. Like, it, it was really interesting the way they did, like, they gave personality to each character. I um, was... Bo- oh, sorry. sorry I, I, I was watching the intro to this before we recorded because I, I tried to at least brush up a little bit on each show, but um, I was really impressed with some of the animation. It holds that, up. I have that as a note. Yeah, like I can remember kind of seeing this on TV sometimes and be like, I should maybe watch this. This looks interesting. But it, I feel like it might be one of those shows that like blew their entire budget on the transformation sequences. You nailed it. And I was <laughs> just about to say was that. Horrible. The action, like uh, some of the action too is like, re- you could tell it's like recycled. Yeah. And but like the freaking transformation sequences, bro, freaking sicky. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, one of the main things that stuck out to me about this is like, I at the time I don't think I quite knew like what was like this. There was like this, this intangible thing of like I like this character, um, this character named Wrath. Uh, he was like the one that's like the more like uh, like the the real smart character. And he was just always, like, kind of, like, snarky and, like, I just always liked him, you know, sarcastic or whatever. And um, the Nefertina was the, the the female character that they didn't know was a woman that she was, like, posing so she could I'm be. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Can we just back up one second? Nefertina? Yeah, Nefertina was her <laughs> name. I didn't mention it earlier, but that's, I was like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like, the, the puns, like, in the, like, the bad, like plays off of like the Egyptian thing were cracking me up. You know that it's just like it was like a couple 30 or 40 year olds sitting around at 8 p.m. <laughs> in the animation studio just like uh Nefertiti, Nefertati, Nefertina. Tina, it's it, it's Tina cuz Tina's a real name. Nefertina. Cool 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 cool. cool. Dude, it felt like that too. It's like someone was like, mm, I don't know about that." But the character I was going to say um so the Wrath character is played by Scott McNeil. Mm. Um if that doesn't sound familiar, you probably heard his voice. He, in Dragon Ball Z, he played Piccolo and Majin Buu. Oh. In Gundam Wing, he played Duo Maxwell. Yes. The best character in Gundam Wing. Um, he was in Reboot. He also played Rat Trap in Transformers Beast Wars. He was in, oh, different 90s show people forget about, Exo Squad. And Dude, then um, Exo Squad was another good one with some I great know, we were, toys. We were talking about it. And then the thing, I think I talked to you about this, but like the thing that really was like that cracked me up about the was another voice that he did that was just like embedded in my head was the uh that rudolph the red-nosed reindeer isle of misfit toys like christmas special yeah he did yukon cornelius's voice huh 
And I was just like, holy shit. That was like, seriously, was like something locked away in my head. And when I heard that, it was like, oh my God. Like, <laughs> it's like in the deep recesses of my psyche. One of the one of the things I came across that I was actually really disappointed about in Darkwater is, okay, so Darkwater uh, was a five-episode miniseries to try it out, and then it got picked up. Um, they, they aired the five-episode miniseries first, and then I have no, I don't know why, um, probably because of a contract negotiation, but initially in the five-episode miniseries, Roddy McDowell was the voice of Niddler, oh, the monkey yeah. bird. Um, and when it got picked up to series, for some reason, he didn't continue with the show. They recast him as Frank Welker and revoiced the first five episodes that mm. had been in the movie series to, or, to, or miniseries to release it. The thing is, is one of my favorite movies of all time is 1968's Planet of the Apes and the Planet of the Apes series in general, I just find is, uh, kind of overlooked sci-fi. It's one of my favorite things. Roddy McDowell plays Cornelius in that, and later in the like jump forward or backward in time, the Planet of the Apes series <laughs> goes all the way around. Um, he plays Caesar, uh, who the new Planet of the Apes movies kind of bases it off of Caesar, the one who rises up. Uh, so I love Roddy McDowell. I think he's a brilliant actor, uh, uh, and I was really disappointed to find out that like this whole time I've liked this show and he had done work that just got thrown to the side. You when were they like, it what could have been? I know. I was like, <laughs> it, it could, I could have been watching him there. So I don't know. I, I don't know if it would have been the same though, because Nidler had such like this, like a kind of annoying voice, but like in like a funny way, he was sort of comic relief, sort of like a Danny DeVito type. Like he's just <laughs> there to like F things up for no reason. He was, he was the schnarf. Yeah, that's really what he was, was he was kind of like a schnarf, but he was a little morally gray, so sometimes you weren't sure if he was helping oh, the heroes right. yeah, or if he was trying to F them over. I remember you saying that. I hope Danny DeVito plays him in the live-action <laughs> reboot. Uh, something, oh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, well, I was going to say, something interesting I found about your show was, uh, I think his name is Samuel Vincent, but he plays, he does the voice of one of the characters. Um, he is the voice of Double D in Ed, Ed and Eddie. Oh, shit! And one of the street sharks is voiced by Single D, Ed. And so I tried to look and see if uh, if, if Eddie uh, voiced anybody in Darkwater. But I don't think that would have been some shit, son. <laughs> Could you imagine? And we, like, picked those three yeah. out of the blue? That would have been some shit. That would have been crazy. The, but uh, I mean, it wouldn't have been too crazy. I mean, they all came out around the same time. I, yeah. feel, like, I feel like everything is, like, mixing now. Mm -hmm. I'm almost surprised that we don't have that. I will say one casting I did find really strange is, do, do you guys remember Father of the Bride? Yeah. 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 The, the like, husband that she's going to marry in that. Um, What's the I actor's name? Sure. Uh, the, actor, the actor's name is George Newburn. And... He was the voice of the main character of Pirates of Darkwater. Really? Uh, yeah, and it's like I've Shit. he didn't do a whole lot of voice work, I guess. Well, never mind. I'm seeing now that he was uh, Sephiroth, so apparently oh, he has done Final some Fantasy? legitimate, yeah, some legitimate voice work. <laughs> That's awesome. But I, I thought that was such a strange casting that it's like, oh, I was in a Father of the Bride, yeah. Pirates of Darkwater. <laughs> what a like, in, he had a he does it all, folks. He does it all. Mike, the one that I wanted to talk to you, uh, what the one I wanted to mention that was like interesting that I thought would stick out to you on some of these was actually that Nefertina character. Mm -hmm. um, so she's <laughs> played by Cree Summer, and so um, some cool things she did. She played uh, Susie in Rugrats, oh. but she played uh, a character named Jill in the episode Five Day Forecast of Freakazoid. 
So I know you're always a big, you're like a big yeah. fan of Freakazoid. So I was like, holy shit. She is a voice actor that like you hear her and you know yeah. it's her. So she uh, she also played Katana in that Mortal Kombat mm-hmm. um, cartoon we talked about on our episode, like yep. the bracket. Uh, number five on Kids Next Door. Yep. And then uh, I think your son actually watched Dino Trucks, doesn't he? I tried like, to get him into that. Like, he okay. really couldn't, surprisingly, would not get into uh, it. But she plays a character named Ace in Dino Trucks. Interesting. But I was just like, because I just remember you mentioning Dino Trucks before, and I was like, oh, my God, I need to remember to tell Mike about that. She's one of those voice actors that has such a unique voice, she doesn't have to change it for any other characters. Like, she's the same character in right. whoever she's voicing. Um, Well, yeah, so that's, like, kind of the things that stick out to us, I guess, or, like, the things that make us remember these series and stuff. So I think, like, looking at that now, I wondered, um, and we've touched on it a little bit, but how do you think these shows hold up now, like, upon, like, rewatch? I know we haven't rewatched, like, the entire, like, I haven't watched all, like, 40 episodes of Mummy's Alive or anything, but just upon rewatch, like, of a few episodes or several episodes, like, how do you guys think it, like, kind of compares? Is it one of those things of, like, it's it's good because you have nostalgia for it, or is it, like, objectively good? Uh... I'll say this much. These shows have such nostalgic value for people, and I think you want to rewatch them, but it it's kind of like there's so many other shows out now that are actually well animated that it makes these really hard to yeah. go back and watch. They kind of like pale mm-hmm. in comparison. Like, even if Street Sharks had like the best storyline in the world, and it, it it's not that it has a bad storyline. I mean, it does fall into a lot of the tropes of you know, 90s mutant cartoons, but, I mean, it does talk about some interesting um, things, like uh, it kind of touches on pollution and um, uh, stuff like that, And but it's, like, I, it's hard to watch. Like, it's physically hard to look at this <laughs> sometimes. Right. It's interesting. I think you mentioned earlier, Jonathan, like, all these ones that were, like, let's clean up the earth, like, Captain Planet, Street Sharks, yeah, I water. Wa- I wonder sometimes if, like, do, like, current animated stuff, like, was that, like, just, like, some weird, you know, animation kink of the 90s that, like, <laughs> everything had to be save the earth? Like, uh, I don't, I, it, it's interesting because you see both what, what, these shows built off of Street Sharks building off of Ninja Turtle success and then what they kind of laid the foundation for. One thing, uh, another favorite show of, or another favorite animated series growing up that I really feel borrowed heavily from Pirates of Darkwater was Gargoyles. Yeah. Um, and I was reading that Gargoyles was the first uh, Disney produced uh, serialized show. Wow, I didn't um, so, know that. So yeah, so it was it was uh, it was all drama. So there was not like that comedic. I mean, there was comedic elements, obviously, like Brooklyn and and all of them were like funny. But uh, but it was mostly drama. Uh, it was serialized, so there w- it was a monster of the week, and it had this amazing cast: um, Jonathan Franks, Keith and, David, uh, Keith David, and um, basically half of the cast of Star Trek: The Next Generation yeah. does a voice That's at some point. Um, yeah, uh, John Rice Davies is in it. Who was it that we were talking to about that? AD. AD. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and so and so I think like, but but one thing I was looking at was that the foundation of that was kind of laid in Pirates Dark Water, being that Pirates Dark Water was a little more serialized. Uh, it was coming after the Captain Planet um, like craze, but at the same time it added something else to it. 
Uh, and, and I just, I almost actually feel like Pirates of Dark Water was ahead of its time and would have succeeded more five years later when you had Cartoon Network that was just marathoning shows that were easy to catch up with. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just, and, and when the anime craze started coming in, because like I said, uh, it just had so much influence from that, but I think it was almost a little too weird and eclectic for its time because everyone looked a little strange and yet at the same time this is 1991 and there is no protagonist in this show that's white Hmm. uh they're all they're all some form of olive tan skin uh they they have very strong middle eastern features i mean ren's blonde but he's also very tan and and they all have elf eyes so they're obviously like something else the only real visible white character is like Blouth, which is quite the name of a villain. Um, <laughs> it sounds like a villain. Yeah. Uh, is it? Is it? Yeah. A Bloth or Blouth. Uh, the ox-sized humanoid pirate captain of the feared pirate strip Maelstrom. So like, yeah, it, it, in the whole thing like continued on this idea of like collect. Yeah, they were trying to collect a, a crystal every episode. So they had something that was episodic, but the whole thing, like if, if you just caught a random episode in the middle, you're like, I don't know why they're trying to collect these crystals. I don't know. Like, what the, And it's probably why it ended so early. And, but it was just this cool thing where it was this amalgam of, of seeing what had been successful in the eighties and what they had adopted to their, to their style and kind of being really ahead of its time in creating this serialized animated show that kind of said more than just throwing like funny, weird crap at, at kids. It, it told an adventure. And I think that's why I, I kind of like loved it so much. Would it hold up today? Uh, well, the DVD set has been sitting in my Amazon mm-hmm. wish list for like <laughs> years because I've been thinking about it, but I've never really pulled the trigger because I'm scared. Like it'll be like, I, I did the same thing. I bought all five seasons of X-Men and I got like through two of them. And I was like, these were the only good seasons. Right. Once, once Jubilee backed out, I was like, who's going to blow up VCRs <laughs> now? Well, they ran out of money too at the end of that show. I oh, bought I'm it sure and let me, let me assure you that I have not watched more than one episode. <laughs> <laughs> you um, bought it just to say you had it. Well, I bought it legitimately to like <laughs> rewatch it because I, I had the toys as a kid. And so I was like, I, I should probably watch this show. Um, but it's funny that you brought up Gargoyles because something that I read was that the writers of Gargoyles originally worked on Mummies Alive. Jesus Christ. They, Why they, are all these shows connected? They were, they were starting Gargoyles as they were wrapping up production on Mummies Alive. Gargoyles. And so, like, the, the two shows share a lot of... Such a good show, dude. Gargoyles. should have picked Gargoyles. Fuck. Well, but this was... <laughs> but people this remember was about, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. This was about the kind of diamonds in the rough. Right, right. So, yeah. Right. No, we all would have come in here. Uh, what show did you choose? Oh, I chose Gargoyles. How about you? Oh, damn it. I chose Gargoyles. <laughs> well, it was like they did that whole... They did a whole arc of King Lear... And gargoyles, like yeah, fucking Shakespeare well, storyline. Something that I forgot to mention about Street Sharks was that it, it it's a it's a lesser known show, but it was it had moderate success because it actually had a spinoff, and that, that was something you kind of alluded to earlier. Was um, the show Extreme Dinosaurs was a spinoff? Oh, right, of right, right, Street Sharks because those characters originally appeared in Street Sharks, and then. They completely rewrote their background and backstories for the Extreme Dinosaur Show, but they were originally in Street Sharks. That is so interesting. I can't believe like how connected all these shows are now that we're like 
sitting down to like talk about them. I'm like, <laughs> well, Whoa. it was like uh, you you brought it up earlier with the the toys that made us. You know, the interesting part about that documentary was when you're when you're watching that documentary, you're realizing that these people all existed at the same time. So as you go episode to episode, you'll have you would have like people come in from, oh, I was on the Star Trek line, or I was on uh, the Star Wars, or the Transformers, something like they they would come in and then they would like talk about what they were doing while this other thing was being developed. And that was kind of cool is like to see how small that world was and how there was like beef between, I loved, I know that that's like so trashy, but I'm sitting like, <laughs> I loved, I loved knowing that there were like toy creators out there who hated other toy creators <laughs> and just like really like, just were like angry or like when they fought over who came up with an idea, like uh, there was like one episode where they were talking about like who invented He-Man, I think it was. And that was so cool. So it's like, I, I, I would totally watch a documentary on the eighties and nineties animation scene mm-hmm. and like the drama therein. The shit, like the, the shit that was going on behind the scenes you never yeah. knew about. Yeah. I want to know, I want to know like who like <laughs> stole ideas from what studio, who was sleeping with who, who was like, <laughs> Who was, you know, who stole this thing? Like, like okay, Street Sharks, cool. How much of that, like, did, did the makers of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, how much did that piss them off? Like, I yeah. want to know that they were like, they came up oh. here and, like, they tanked our show. And of course, you can't tank Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. But <laughs> <laughs> There's even, there, I think it's in, like, the first episode, they established the fact that these sharks love eating uh, hamburgers from Mondo Burger. And they're like, what should we go eat? And one of them's like, how about pizza? And they're like, no, pizza's <laughs> gross. So it's like they're throwing in little jabs like Shade, that. Shade, baby. <laughs> they like stomp on a rat at some point. <laughs> that is too funny. I think um, kind of talking about what we were just discussing, like I think Mummy's Alive kind of falls into like what you had mentioned, Mike, that it, it's just like one of those things that, it's not necessarily good just because of obje- like objectivity. Like, sure, some of the animation's really good, but some of it's not enough of it is good for it to be like this shit still holds up. Right. And so I think just just on the merits of the show, I don't think it quite holds up just because we're so accustomed to like a different level of like animation mm-hmm. and production. But I think it has all those things that check the box for like anyone that that has like a uh, nostalgia. So like if right. you're if you're someone that's like super high in nostalgia, this is something that like, you know, contrary to everything else, like you're going to be like, "No, nah, but like it's good, it's bad, but it's good cuz I like it." <laughs> well, like I still very much enjoy the toys. And so like I I have a big collection of them and I'm still looking for the ones that I don't have. But like my son, I have a 3 and a half year old, almost 4 year old and I think it's just a boy thing. Uh, when they're that age, they really enjoy sharks, anything sharks. So I was like, I'm going to show them a few episodes of Street Sharks. <laughs> you go, you're go. you like, you're going to learn. He loves it. He <laughs> is totally into it. And But it's like he has no, he doesn't care about animation. He doesn't, he sees gigantic <laughs> sharks on screen, tearing up the town, biting into things. And he loves it. He sings this theme song, even though it gets it wrong. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it it's it's great. I mean, it's it's great for what it is. If you can, if you're a three year old and you can enjoy it, then it's that's all well, it has and, to be. And I think that's the glorious part about animation is that when you have film, uh, I mean, I can tell instantly if something was made in the '70s because it's all kind of flat. The '80s because for some reason they only could shoot at nighttime in the '80s. <laughs> uh, the '90s is is very grungy, like. 
you can kind of tell immediately what era something is. But it's it's interesting when you talk to people and you're like aristocrats or aristocats, sorry, or um, 101 Dalmatians or these these old animated movies that children still watch today that were made in the mm-hmm. 60s. Like yeah. you think about it, you're like almost everyone that was involved in that is dead now. And yet Jesus. your kids are still like right, yeah. eating that up. And, and it's interesting because it, it was kind of cool what you said about you're getting to kind of relive street sharks through your son. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I collect um, I collected the whole run of this re- kind of niche comic book series called Alpha Flight, which oh, is yeah. like the Canadian X Men. I I don't know why, um, but I like got into it. I got into it in high school, and I started collecting them. And I ended up like I was like I this is the only comic book series I've collected every single issue of. I think it's like a total of maybe 170 issues, and I was like gonna like get rid of it at one point. And my, my wife was like, no. She was like, I have thought for the longest time about you sitting with our, our son or daughter and getting to, like, experience that with them for the first yeah. time. I will. So it was funny. My wife has, like, never cared really about <laughs> Alpha Flight. She doesn't want to read it. She's read, like, a couple <laughs> issues, and she's like – they're they're kind of a mess and i was like i love that that's why that's it's because the thing that's the thing is it's like (laughs) they're the x-men but they're completely like in shambles they don't know what they're doing it's beautiful and (laughs) so she never liked it but she would she refused to let me do that because she was like you will find so much more out of this when you're getting to share it with our child and they won't care like having read it or or not read it i think it's the same thing with that and Mm -hmm. i hope that something like pirates of dark water that that can hold up I, i i know that I've always kind of like jokingly been a fan of Smurfs my entire life. And so I remember in high school, I used to anytime like my mom or somebody would have me like babysit a niece or nephew because I have a massively large family. Uh, They'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, watch, watch your nieces or something. I'd be like, okay. And I turn on Smurfs and I'd be like, name me five Smurfs when I get back. And then I'd go (laughs) and download movies on (laughs) LimeWire or or songs. Mike, the thing that made that stuck out to me about Street Sharks was when the sharks would be <laughs> under the cement yeah. and just tearing up the whole town. Well, I, remember, okay. I think it was AD talking about, like, God damn, like the freaking infrastructure yeah. so of the that, city. <laughs> you, you mentioned in, in the outline for this, you, like, wanted to touch on some themes about the show. And so, like, some one of the major themes of this show is just apathy and general, like, not giving a shit as far as the citizens of this town. They've got gigantic shark people... <laughs> Swimming through the street of, the, and they're like, eh, "It's the street checks," and uh, they, but it's like, "Oh my god!" And so, like, one of the other really weird things is like, how how are they? Are they eating the dirt underneath the the street to like get it out of the way? But then also, there's an episode where they have to go underwater and like save this uh, colony of mer people, and they're wearing freaking aqua suits. I'm like, they're sharks. They should be well, able need to a breathe. Un- they've got gills. They should be able to breathe underwater. It's what? like the things you think about it's in like, the shower. Why do they need a wetsuit? They're sure. Because they need to sell a toy. Everyone, like fucking everybody oh, in that. They need the wetsuit oh, version. Yeah, they need the wetsuit version. God damn it. Yeah, um, I, uh, I, that's the other thing. I mean, you, you could probably do an entire episode on like breaking apart tropes and cartoons yeah. that make zero sense. <laughs> like I, I want to know, know why they had to swim in the dirt, how they swam in the dirt. And why no one cared? I'm just, I'm imagining someone be like, uh, yeah, Mr. Kruger, I'm going to be late into work. There's a 
there's a street shark incident. Oh, well, that's okay. Get in when you get in. <laughs> say no more. We'll see you when we see everyone you. Everyone happen. Everyone in that city drive, like has four-wheel drive. <laughs> get over these bumps. Every Everyone's street, alignment's off in their car. Every street around my house right now is under construction. I swear, they're trying to block me in. I can't stand it. And <laughs> it's, been going, it's been going for, nah, the village. Oh, it's man. been going for a year where it's like they're adding more streets and I can't get out. If I lived in a street shark world, I would just not be able to go anywhere because already they can't keep the streets up to par. I don't know what you would do in that. Like anybody that runs for mayor has got quite, quite a, an issue, a structural issue on their hands. Uh, another theme that street shark does is something called the uh, Pinocchio syndrome that uh, I thought was really interesting. And it's where these characters the main goal that they have in this show is to return back to their human form, but they've found that it's more beneficial to them to stay as sharks um, so that they can defeat the enemy. Right. So it's, it's uh, Pinocchio syndrome is like, I, I just want to be a real boy. I just want to be, a, and it usually deals with like robots and movies and stuff. They just, they want to be real people. But um, I just, I thought that that's a pretty interesting thematic element that is kind of recurring. Is, is there, is there like, do I, go back to being human or do I stay like I'm wrestling with that a monster and you know protect people damn street stars gets deep (laughs) (laughs) yeah you thought it was just all puns and and ripping up street sidewalks it it is crazy how once they turn into sharks it's all puns the real sharks are the friends we made along the way but that's the thing is and and that's kind of another point to talk to point talk about is like there was this period in the 90s where, like, all of these animation animated shows came out that had so much to say. Right. Like, I don't, like, it was uh, Denny O'Neill, who is a comic book um, writer, he wrote the famed Green Lantern co-starring Green Arrow series, um, which is one of my favorites. He was quoted saying, I knew our generation was screwed, <laughs> but I just wanted to put a comic book in a hand of a really smart 11-year-old that would do something with it. <laughs> And so what's interesting is, you know, we had these, we had all of these animated series in the 90s that were dealing with uh, pollution and, uh, you know, progressive themes like gender roles and like, uh, you know, it it, it was these funny things and they're aimed at these little kids and yet we're kind of looking 30 years later and we're like, oh. Like like shaping a generation. This is what prepared me for this battle. Like, oh, interesting. (laughs) The the we it wasn't just you know everyone knows Captain Planet but there were a lot of serious things like gargoyles gargoyles talks a lot about corporate greed mm-hmm. um, and talks about like uh, appropriating artifacts from different regions and stealing them and you know it they each have these kind of really deep themes so I'm not surprised that something as silly as as mummies that are coming alive I mean you talked about it you had you had a, a disabled character that like got that the powers gave them back their arm you had this character who was from a time where like women didn't have that much it's just so interesting to see how these shows like touched on this and kind of wrestled with these uh these social issues in a fun way that wasn't like preachy i know you're like i i wanted to laugh not feel (laughs) you kind of jogged my memory with that about the gargoyles is when those writers went from mummies alive to gargoyles is both shows kind of dealt with uh, ancient beings awakening after a certain amount of time mm-hmm. to fight a greedy, more like a powerful, greedy person. Shit. Yeah. That, that Fuck, was the they got me, Mike. 
You, you were just watching the Gargoyles prequel. I know. <laughs> Pre-Gargoyles. Jesus. Okay, one thing I wanted to do before we got into the, the final segment was um, kind of talk about other shows that maybe people forgot about or don't remember, like uh, aren't high on recall, and mm. see if you guys remember these or what you thought about these. Okay. So um, this one I really threw in specifically for you, Mike. <laughs> Uh, the show called Toxic Crusaders. Oh, Jesus. An I love that show. I've got the lunchbox. <laughs> this is an animated spinoff of the 1984 R-rated cult film, The Toxic Avenger. It is so crazy to me how many cartoon kids' cartoon shows are based off of R-rated movies. <laughs> like Robocop, Rambo, Toxic Avenger. How did these get cartoon shows? They because, wanted to hit that other audience because they looked cool. I mean, yeah, I, I mean that's what it was. I had like cool. all these Star Trek toys, but I was way too young to understand what the heck was happening on Star Trek. <laughs> Granted, yeah. it wasn't rated R, but it still is like I still find it like interesting that they had a toy line for that. Right. Yeah. Well, that one was for Mike. I guess John Jonathan said he hadn't he hadn't seen that one. Or heard I of never it. heard of that. <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> um, reboot is another one yeah. that does not hold. Uh, it was on Toonami, Jonathan, and it was like the first ever uh, fully computer animated series. Was it really? Yep. And it was. It was. It uh, was after Beast Wars. They uh, or before Beast Wars? I think it was, but it was before. It, like they they say the plot's like somewhere between Tron and the Matrix. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. It's pretty okay, tight. Okay. But it had a lot of those puns, like the the uh, one of the main villains was like hexadecimal. Like I promise you, know I mean? you without knowing anything about this, I promise you it does not hold up. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Those graphics <laughs> probably look like our elementary school math textbook yeah. covers. Yeah. I tried to watch it within the past year oh, just to see so how, bad. how bad it is. And uh, cuz I was like it can't be that bad. It was a show that people watched on TV. It was bad. <laughs> it was a, it show. was a show that people watched on TV. <laughs> um Okay, this next one is Biker Mice from Mars. Yeah, I was really into Biker Mice from Mars. They actually had a uh, um, they that was back when they were trying out the many versions to make Polly Pockets sell to boys. Oh, really? So yeah, they had like Mighty Max, and they even they had a they had a Biker Mice from Mars spinoff too huh. that they tried to. I think um, I might have just been thinking about like a Mighty Max that took place on Mars. Could possibly. <laughs> there be. was another one. But, I think I don't I don't think I put it on this list, but it was like cows that were people. cows of moo mesa yeah yeah so like something really interesting about this whole thing is like ninja turtles started it and then these shows started kind of like unfolding and like i think biker mice from mars might have been uh like in 1992 or three and then i think moo mesa came after that and then street sharks came after that and then it was just like once one show started and another show came on uh, these production houses were like we we need our own version of this so to they, carry they on were the popping torch up everywhere yeah they just put all kinds of animals on a wall and threw a dartboard <laughs> and were like, irradiated anteaters. Cool. This is our new show. That could probably be a show now. Uh, the last one is SWAT Cats. Yeah, I loved that. That show SWAT. was tight. I vaguely remember. That. Vaguely. It was that- these two cats that were like vague, basically like vigilantes and they drove like this straight up like top gun ass like yeah. jet it was super they tight. were mechanics by day that is one of the few um intro animations that i still think about like today like to get inspired to really? draw. yeah it was amazing just it had that the, good had the best opening intro animation son of a bitch i still think one of my favorite openings is uh g-force is that the is that the, is that the anime where they're all like they all like each one's a bird yes oh yeah um 
GeForce. It's called something else as well. Yeah, um, I. Every time I look it up, it, I'm not talking about the weird gerbil show from it's like a, 2008. Right. Not Hamtaro. <laughs> but no, yeah, they had they had something like that, and I just I remember thinking that the of course it's an anime intro, and it was that was one of my first anime that and um what's the one I was telling you Robo? No, oh, was it the Gotcha Man? Was that gotcha the other? Man. That's gotcha what Man. It's yeah, called, yeah, 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 yeah. That. Um, and then yeah, so it was just like the, their intros are always different than mm-hmm. Amer- Western animation. Oh yeah. And Definitely. so, yeah, so, like, I remember being like, this is the coolest intro. This is tight. <laughs> well, a lot of those shows, like, Thundercats is a <laughs> big one. <laughs> Harold just broke his phone. Trying to be a cool guy. <laughs> uh, they would commission, like, the opening intro, and a lot of times the first episode or two were released, like, mini-movies, I think. Yeah. You, you mentioned yours was a five-parter, but they were done in Japan overseas where animation quality is much higher and um then once it gets serialized it comes back over to America where we don't do things as well animation wise and we just spit it out where we're known for fast food <laughs> <laughs> yeah no joke oh my gosh have you guys watched the new Rocco's Modern Life thing on Netflix yeah they did an incredible joke they did a about bingo. bringing bringing the show back and they're like we're a corporation we can we find ways to do this much cheaper and faster and worse <laughs> and I was like this is so true man I can't believe they brought it back I remember I think I was texting you as soon as I like found out about it, was, it. I was like bro it was really good didn't they already reboot Rocco's Modern Life it's called SpongeBob SquarePants <laughs> dang for real I think we talked about that before yeah it's basically the same <laughs> That's funny. Well, to close out, um, I just wanted to talk about would we recommend someone to watch our show that we brought to talk about? And if not, what other show would you re- recommend from this time for people to check out? I would I would recommend Pirates from Dark Water, especially if you want something that it's honestly the closest. Um, uh, you, you hit it right, the nail on the head. It's the closest to a D&D feel of any cartoon I've seen. Um it has, you know, Dark Lord monsters, end of the world stakes, adventure, uh, a, a nobody kid that somehow ends up as a hero. Everyone's kind of specialized. I, I really liked, I could I could probably turn it into a D&D campaign and people would be like, this is so original. And I'd be like, I made it up myself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, no, I, I recommend it fully. However, uh, what I would say as a caveat to that is I recommend Gargoyles before I recommend Gargoyles is a must. If you had not seen Gargoyles and you're wanting to like have like real quality nineties animated show, Gargoyles is, is one of the best pirates of dark water. I think laid a lot of foundation for it, uh, had a lot of interesting deep characters. Um, I put them on the same page and I loved them both. But I think if I had to say like, what was the most life changing animation growing up it was gargoyles Mm -hmm. um i would not recommend (laughs) (laughs) um i would say maybe watch an episode and if you can get into it then stick with it actually maybe not even that because the show does not have like a really good wrap-up i think it wanted to go longer than it in than it did so like the the last season it it just kind of it doesn't really wrap up in any sort of uh, phenomenal way. Um, like, you never know what happened to their dad. You never see him again. They never are reunited with him. They're never turned back into humans. So there, there's really no there's no um, closure with, with the show. So I guess if I was to um, recommend a show, 
I would recommend the show Cyber Six, which is another kind of 90s cartoon that is kind of not on a lot of people's radar. And um, the animation quality of that show is spectacular for a 90s show. And it, it's based on a comic book, so there's like a predetermined storyline and everything. And um, I would really recommend that. I would recommend people to watch Mummies Live if they are a fan of laughing unintentionally at parts <laughs> that aren't intended to be funny. Um, it's fun. It's like a fun watch to like riff with your friends. And really, honestly, it's really not bad. Like I watched a few episodes like or just over the weekend, just like doing, I was like working on something, but just like had the episode on. I was just like, this isn't bad. Like it kept my interest at points. Got a little hokey at some points. It's just fun, though. Like, I would definitely recommend someone to check it out like, if they're looking for something to, like, have fun or riff off of. Other than that, a, cart- or a show from the 90s I would recommend. Um, I can't laud this show enough, even though it's, like, been praised, like, ad nauseum. Uh, Batman the Animated Series, for sure. I love that we all, it was like, would you recommend this show? And it was like, well, I'd recommend this other show. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, like, kind of the thing. It's, like, you know, do we like the thing or... Do we like it enough to be like, hey, you should check this out? And it's like, eh, kind of. <laughs> yeah, no, I I totally agree. <laughs> I think even if we didn't recommend them, they, they're they they're kind of more personal to us choices. Mm-hmm. So it's right. like, we love them for our own reasons. But I don't think if you were just coming on to these shows as a 34-year-old, you'd get into it. <laughs> right. like I, I, can, I can barely get back into it, and I have the nostalgia for I it. I think it's very similar to what I was saying about Alpha Flight is like, I loved Alpha Flight because it was like the less lesser known X Men, mm-hmm. and and I like Pirates of Dark Water because it's like everything I loved about Gargoyles, but like less people knew about it, so it could I could have ownership of like it. Your and, thing, yeah. yeah. I could be like, well, do you guys know about Pirates of Dark Water? And everyone <laughs> would be like, no, and I'd be like, you're missing out. <laughs> yeah, you gotta be in the know on that one. <laughs> well, thanks, fellas, for stopping by and talking to these, talking about these uh, funny ass shows with me. Uh, why don't you tell people where they could follow you, keep up with your projects and everything like that on social, website, whatever you got going on. Uh, I'll go first. Um, I uh, I do, uh, I, I said at the beginning of it, I do two podcasts. They are Scary Movie Ice Cream Night and Saturday Morning Ice Cream. And um, I also do illustrations and drawings. And you can find me on pretty much any social media uh, at Michael Octopus, M I K U L O C T O P U S. Awesome. I uh, I am under basically Smurf in a Blender on every social media platform I can be. I came up with it in sixth grade, and I've kept the name ever <laughs> since. As a thirty-two-year-old, it's a little <laughs> more embarrassing. But you can find me uh, at Smurf in a Blender on Twitter, Instagram. Facebook, whatever. Um, and if you really want the no holds barred me uh, on Tumblr at Dishonor on your Tauntaun. Ooh. Ooh, hmm. little little sneak there. That's for that after after dark content right there. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's mostly just me like reblogging a bunch of really, really nerdy crap like <laughs> that I know my family would like judge me for. So I'm like, let me change this name so no one stumbles upon <laughs> this. God. Well, as always, guys, you can follow us on social media. That's Tunes Tunes Podcast, T-U-N-E-S slash T-O-O-N-S. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you find your podcasts. See you guys next time. Bye. Bye. Jossie.